Our Future Now is produced by Goal 17 Media, storytellers for the common good. This crisis shows us the systems that we have propped up won't even sustain us long enough to have a job, won't even sustain us enough to take care of our families, won't even sustain us enough to take care of us while we're at home away from school. So this is a perfect time to sit down and rethink what are we living in? What have we accepted? What do we demand of our governments? Not just for college students, but for people of all ages. Hi, everyone. I'm Natalie Mebane. I'm the co-founder of the National Children's Campaign and vice president of government relations and public policy. I want to welcome you to our future now. I'm here with my co-lead, Jonah Gottlieb. How are you doing, Jonah? I'm doing all right, Natalie. Great to be talking to you. This past week, I think for me at least, has been crazy just with all the school stuff we've been dealing with. You know, as a senior in high school, also being the co-founder executive director of the National Children's Campaign, just all that work on top of it during a pandemic is just adding up. And just to recap of who we are, National Children's Campaign, we're an org that advocates for young people. We highlight people who are really trying to make a difference. And we want you to join us in our fight. And we're brought here today by our production partners, Goal 17 Media. So just really excited to have you back with us. And we're joined by a really, really special guest. Somebody I'm really excited and happy to work with, been working with for the last few years, Elsa Mengitsu. Just a background on Elsa. Elsa is a freshman at Howard University. She has been doing a great job over there. She's studying political science. And she just wrapped up her first semester with a 4.0 GPA. So Elsa, go ahead and join us. Tell us a little bit about yourself and what you're up to. Hi, everybody. Thank you guys for having me join you today. Like Natalie said, I am a freshman at Howard University. I'm also a climate justice organizer, and I have worked with Natalie and Jonah for the past two and a half years, actually. And I'm here to talk about how coronavirus impacted college students across this country and how my university and other universities have responded to this crisis. Elsa, so you're a student at Howard, but we're not talking to you at Howard. So where are you in the world? I am back home in North Carolina, actually. Schools have shut down for the most part, and everyone was sent home. I'm taking the rest of my classes online for the rest of the semester, along with my peers and every university I can think of. Wow. Jeez. I know that when you had talked, because you were in D.C., you know, we're not far from each other. And I remember when you had to suddenly kind of leave, like how much time did you have from when the school let you know that school was closing to when you actually had to leave and be out of your dorm? Honestly, it feels like a blur. I remember like a few days before spring break being told that this crisis is getting really serious. And so we're going to be doing online classes for two weeks, but we could remain on campus if we want. And then it was online classes are going to be for the rest of the semester. You can stay on campus if you want. And then a few days later, it was you can't stay on campus anymore unless you have extenuating circumstances. And then after that, every few days or every day, the deadline of when you had to move out was being pushed up. And so all in all, really, it probably less than a week to really prepare because information was changing rapidly. But like in the span of just like two or three days, like you had to be packing your stuff and ending your semester right then. How does the rapid change impact the way that you and your fellow students were seeing that go on? It was chaos. It was like high pressure, high anxiety, because 
no one knew what was going on whatsoever. I just remember like students being in like pure panic overnight, like your plans for the rest of the semester are gone. We had to figure out like how to move our stuff overnight, where we're going to go. It was just like chaos. And it was just kind of frightening because information was just changing so often. We didn't know like what to believe. We didn't know what was accurate or like if what we were being told would actually stand to be true the next day. So it was just really difficult having to plan your next steps when so many things were just changing. Wow. I can only imagine how it must have been for folks who don't live nearby, who are even international students. Did you have any friends who who were international students who were impacted? Yeah, actually, one of my friends, she's from a country in the Middle East. She's international. And this particular country had shut down. They had a travel ban. No one could come in. No one could come out. So not only was she forced to, I don't know if she was forced to leave campus or her specific situation, but it went from she couldn't be on campus to now she can't even go back home to where her family is because she physically cannot enter the country. And that was like a reality for so many international students. I remember there was a petition going around to buy all the Trinidadian students tickets home because it just happened last minute and people can't afford international flights to go back to wherever they need to be in less than a week on last minute's notice in the middle of a pandemic. And so I don't know specifically what had happened. I know I think my university actually did start putting some people in housing. That's a lot for international students and a lot for the people that I knew that had to deal with it. For students who couldn't go back home, they did put some into, like you said, housing that they could accommodate. That's good to know. Is there anything that you would say, being a college student, that you feel like the school could have handled better or in terms of making this adjustment? Yeah, for sure. Just for starters, I fully understand that there are so many things out of reach, out of the university's hands when it comes to this crisis. First and foremost, we're all in the same boat. We've never been in this position before, but having a streamlined source of accurate information, I think would have been extremely helpful when we were just figuring out what was happening in the midst of chaos. Chaos. And also having steps and processes in order to protect and assist vulnerable students, students that may be homeless, unstable, home lives, students who can't afford to go home last minute. There are just so many situations that are amplified because of this crisis. And I feel like universities did not do enough to prepare for that. Asking students to leave residence halls by midnight of a certain date is irresponsible. As we transition to online classes, recognizing that, yes, we are students, but we are human beings first and foremost. Maintaining high academic excellence and productivity is no longer the focus. Like, let it be understood, we came to these institutions to get our education. We came here to learn. That is our priority. But we have been sent home. We have been sent home from the purpose that we came to do in the first place. So understand at this point, education is not our top priority. Our top priority is survival. In a country that is having one of the highest coronavirus rates, that one of the highest death rates, it's really scary times to live in. Nothing is certain and people are being thrown into situations that they did not account for in the first place. And so while I may have the privilege of staying home today and doing my work, the person next to me, my classmate next to me, might be picking up jobs. 
They might be having to babysit all day. They might not have internet access. They might not have technology. They might not have a stable home situation where they can focus on school. Our priorities are not the same. And so to have universities maintain that their priority and their focus is to keep the pinnacle of success where it is was really disheartening because we are students. We came to excel. We came to succeed. We need your support to do that, especially during these uncharted, challenging times. And that is something that schools across this country, students had to fight for, getting pass-fail classes, making sure that we have more academic support, making sure we have online tutoring services, making sure that our Mental health services are still being continued while we may be at home. Those are just things schools should have done, but it's something that we had to like advocate for across this country. And so those are just some simple things that universities could have done from the jump that I would have loved to seen as a student. Elsa, I know that you've been super vocal about this and organizing and advocating along with your fellow students to make sure that your administration and your teachers are really understanding how students are being impacted by this crisis. Can you just elaborate a little bit more on how you've taken action and what the results have been? Yeah, so I attend Howard University. And before I actually started getting involved, I saw students at Georgetown and some of my friends at George Washington circulating a petition to get their schools to transition to pass-fail criteria, where instead of getting a letter grade of A, B, C, D, or F, you would get a pass. If you're like A through D, you'd get a pass and a fail if you fail, and it wouldn't impact your GPA. And that is something that they successfully got and was something that our institution was considering, but they were only considering it for students who are not on scholarship. And the vast majority of our school is either on scholarship or they're an athlete. And so that leaves a very small population of the student body who would not be eligible for pass-fail on their transcripts. And it was really hurtful because the majority of the student body would not be included in determining what their grades would look like. It was completely out of our control. And so I got together with a few girls who were also writing an open letter to the school and we started writing an open letter as to why we need to transition to pass-fail classes and how the university can be more supportive during this time. And so we started writing a letter and there were like large social media campaigns all over Twitter after our school did a town hall to kind of talk about what they were considering and their thought process with everything that was going on. And so we just like wrote an open letter asking people to sign on one and asking people to come together and share their narratives as to why we need pass fail and like why universities need to do more by their student body. As I was talking about all this with Jonah last week and sort of how his school has adjusted, Jonah's in high school, is a senior, you're, you know, obviously just started college and just sort of seeing the comparison of like the assumption is that everyone has great home internet to go to. Everybody has a laptop at home to sort of work from. And I'm realizing that this entire online learning and this distance learning in general, just it's not going to work for everybody. And I know that obviously the schools had to do this quickly. This wasn't something that they had planned or wanted to do. But what would you guys, both you and Jonah, what would you all feel would be something that schools in general could do to help make this transition easier? Like what could they provide? Like Jonah, do you think now that you got to hear Elsa's experience comparing it to high school, what do you think that either high schools or colleges could have done differently? What Elsa was saying is really echoing what I've been going through in terms of a lack of transparency and getting different messages on different days and different messages from different people. Teachers telling me one thing and then the admin telling me another thing. 
And then my parents are both teachers at another school in another school district. And so they've also been getting different messages from their school district about how to operate. And so I think that there's really a great disparity in how different school districts have handled things. And so my mom's school district, for example, for the elementary schoolers, they've said that students can only be on Zoom calls for a maximum of 30 minutes a day, and all the classes are staggered. So what that does is that means that if you have students who are siblings, they're not going to be having to be on the computer using Zoom for two different classes at the same time. And so in that way, they're really able to continue to get their education and continue to be learning during this crisis. At my school, my younger brother, he's a freshman in high school, and both of us are on Zoom classes at the same time on the same Wi-Fi network. And then my parents, who are both teachers, are also online at the same time. My younger brother, who's in middle school, is on classes for a large part of the day as well. And so all of us on the same Wi-Fi network just does not work. I mean, that's the first thing is staggering classes and really limiting the amount of times that students actually should have to be on online classes and on calls makes a huge difference in whether students are actually able to attend classes and do well. Just hearing what you all have gone through. Elsa, what would you say if you had to like make even like a list of what of best practices, what would you think would be the most important thing that either Howard University could do or just universities in general? Yeah, I think we should take a lead from universities that are showing great leadership during this time. One of the schools that I really looked up to was Xavier University of Louisiana and HBCU in New Orleans. They automatically did pass-fail classes. They said, your GPA for this semester does not count if you're on scholarship. Come back next semester and you have the opportunity to make up your GPA so you can remain in whatever academic standing that you were in. They gave reimbursements on tuition and board or it was counted for the next semester. And those are just simple things that I think universities can do. I don't think that our academic standing for this semester, a semester where we're all in the same boat of pure chaos and uncertainty and just danger should determine where you are standing next semester. I don't think losing your scholarship during this time is acceptable. That is something that should be general practice. I know my school, they are shipping out tablets to students that don't have devices at home to use. I think that's something other universities should be able to do. Those are just some common practices that I think should be general standard everywhere and would definitely be beneficial to our relationship with academics and just our institutions in general. That is definitely something that I'd love to see everywhere. There's really a difference, you know, between high school and college in this regard in terms of getting devices and Wi-Fi and things like that to students. So my school was able to provide devices and good Wi-Fi to the students who needed it so that every student could take online classes. But I know that there are a lot of schools that are unable to do that. And so that really speaks to the broader issue of education funding that we already fight so hard on and just highlights the need to give school districts more resources so that they can support their students, especially in a time like this. So Elsa, from talking to both you and Jonah and from really working closely with you guys, it seems like there's been a pretty big disparity in terms of response to this. It seems like every school, they did the best they could, but you were mentioning some schools responded to this crisis a lot better, like Xavier University immediately implemented pass-fail and immediately kind of made these changes that were easier on students. And Jonah, I think from working together, we created a list in conjunction with Elsa and other students of what we feel like are really best practices that will be on our website. So our thinking behind this is just 
as hard as this is for students, teachers and administrators have also never been through a global pandemic before. And so it would be really helpful for everyone involved in the education system during this crisis to have a list of guidelines and resources to use when they're thinking about how their students are being impacted by this crisis. And so we put together this list of resources and guidelines for school administrators and teachers to use to make things as easy as possible for students and for young people and for children who are going through this incredibly stressful and difficult time. You can check out those guidelines at nationalchildrenscampaign.org, and they're also on our social medias on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. So your action item for this episode, please go check out those resources and then send them to all the parents and students and teachers and administrators in your life so that every single student in this country is being given equal opportunity to learn and equal opportunity to deal with this crisis in the midst of a pandemic. One other thing you mentioned, Jonah, too, is how it's impacted the election and how it's really impacted the ability of students to vote this election. Yeah. When students in Wisconsin from out of state learned that they were being sent home, it was in many cases just before the election was happening. And so it was past the deadline to register for vote by mail and absentee ballots, which means that all these college students and young voters, many of them first-time voters in Wisconsin, were disenfranchised and weren't able to vote because they were sent home and sent out of state. And so it's just a really great example of how young people are being impacted and how our democracy is being impacted and the need for universal vote by mail for the primaries and for the general. Yeah, that's a good idea. It makes a lot of sense. And Elsa, would you say that for you, you're 18, you can vote is that something that you have been concerned about in terms of your fellow students being able to vote? Yeah, I already casted my vote when I came home a few months ago, early voting. But a lot of my peers can't vote now that they're going home or in Wisconsin. They couldn't vote there either. But one thing that we are all collectively concerned about is the fact that college students have been left out of the COVID-19 relief package. We're not eligible for the $1,200 check, nor are our parents eligible for claiming us. If we're part of a specific age range, college students unfortunately fall into. So one, we're disenfranchised from voting. And then two, we're not even included in the stimulus relief packages. And I know a lot of students, a lot of people that I'm friends with that work and they make less than $5,000 a year. So they're not even eligible for any government relief. It just feels like college students are forgotten and left out of this conversation again and again and again. It was just really disheartening because we pay taxes and we work just the same as everyone else, but we have been left out of whatever this relief bill is supposed to be. Thinking about that, I really happy you mentioned that, Elsa, because like I worked really, really hard on that bill, right? That package, the coronavirus relief package. And it is disappointing to see that that was something that, that just wasn't really included. I feel like that bill in general had a lot that it needed to be better on. And hopefully in the future packages that they're currently working on in Congress will hopefully be better. But it does seem like a lot of loopholes that you guys are students, right? You're working, you're still taxing members of society, 
a lot of you as you obviously are 18 and can vote. And yet that $1,200 essentially stimulus is something that if you're claimed as a dependent, then oh, it doesn't count. And your parents, you are going to be claimed as a dependent. If they're helping you with tuition, if they're supporting you, you are a dependent. And that does seem like a really strange sort of gap in the program. The Secretary of Education declare that they're actually going to be giving some sort of financial aid to college students to help with, I guess, some of this transition. They're actually going to be giving colleges themselves directly $6 billion overall as like emergency cash grants that schools can sort of distribute as they see fit. The only thing is there isn't really, from what I'm noticing, a lot of guidance to universities on what they can do with that money in terms of how they have to spend it. And I really wish that they would have a little more guidance for universities to follow. So yeah. hopefully that money will come soon. Yeah, Natalie says just another example of how our government's been handling this crisis of kind of too little, too late, and not really helping the majority of students, the majority of young people, and the majority of Americans. And so for me, I'm in the process of applying to colleges and choosing which college I'm going to be going to next year. And all of our financial aid information is obviously based on our pre-pandemic financial information. And this crisis has completely changed the financial landscape for millions of Americans. And so it's kind of ridiculous to me and super frustrating and it's going to destroy people's lives to have to pay for college when the financial aid organizations are assuming that you have the same amount of money and the same income that you had before the pandemic. Thinking about that, Jonah, that is something I just, I didn't even think about that. That is terrible. You filled out your FAFSA, your parents filled out the FAFSA months ago, right? You have now gotten notification from your schools of where you got into, and you have to make those financial decisions of your family knowing that the FAFSA is filled out from months before and your parents' situation could have completely changed. And that is ridiculous. I mean, I can't even imagine that. If somebody's parents lost their jobs because of this and the FAFSA is giving them aid based on what they had had, you know, last year. I mean, is there any way, do you know Elsa or Jonah, is there any way that you could update that? Like, does the FAFSA even let you update your information if something has changed? You can make corrections if you made a mistake on the previous year's FAFSA or this year's FAFSA, but it has to get processed and it has to be accounted for. And when we file for FAFSA, we file for the year before. So it doesn't even do anything. You can only change it if you made a mistake. But like if your parents got laid off, right? I know a few people who are young, whose parents are currently furloughed or laid off because of the closures. And could they even refile it essentially? Like with their updated income that is non-existent. There's 15 million people that have applied for unemployment in just the last few weeks in America. That's 15 million possible families that have been impacted. Is that something that we, I haven't even thought about that. We really have to do something about that on the federal level to ensure that college students who are, you know, following their FAFSAs can refile it to be accurate for their current income of their families. Yeah, I definitely. Agree. One thing that I've found is that for students who are going through what I'm going through right now is it's been much easier to actually go to the colleges and explain the situations that way. But it's just this lack of leadership and the fact that I'm having to advocate for myself in the midst of a pandemic as, you know, I'm 17, like, and I'm having to reach out to these colleges when I don't really know what's going on. And so the fact that we just have no leadership from our government on this and no one telling these colleges, hey, take these students who are now in this 
precarious financial situation, take them and make things easier for them and affordable for them so they can continue working hard and learning. The fact that we have no government leadership on that is just so frustrating and it's already destroying people's lives. And the way that our government's handling this is just going to destroy even more people's lives. Families are having to choose between putting food on the table or sending their kids to college. And obviously that was already the case even before this. And so now what we're seeing is that coronavirus is just exacerbating these existing systemic issues because it's making more and more people in these terrible situations. I keep thinking about, I finished college 07, right? That was when I finished undergrad. And I keep thinking about when I graduated, a year later was the horrible recession of 08 and things like that that went on for years. But I can only imagine what are happening in your lives right now in terms of trying to find money for school, which you already had to do even before this. Your parents possibly being directly financially impacted. And then, of course, just your year in general being disrupted from all the things that you were planning on doing. I think this is going to take a lot of action from a lot of our supporters and members to really push on the federal level to ensure that the next coronavirus packages that are being introduced and in we expect them really in the next couple of weeks, that they actually include one, age for college students, and two, also provide maybe changes to the rules in the FAFSA so that universities will be taking into account a family's new income, which would be heavily impacted. One thing that our listeners can do is really contact their members of Congress and tell them what they really need. What is it that they really need that they want the next package to include so that we can actually help take care of families that have been so impacted by this pandemic? Absolutely. Natalie, you went to school just a little over a decade ago, but the average member of Congress, it's been 50 years maybe since they've been in school. And back then college was obviously way more affordable. And so it just speaks to the broader need for more affordable education. They just don't understand how bad this crisis is and how bad it was even before coronavirus. And now it's just continuing to make it worse. And so that's why we really need, we need free public college because of things like coronavirus. So that things that should be universal rights, like a good education, aren't being put out of reach just because someone's been impacted by an economic crisis that's been out of their control. Yeah. Like right now we have a shortage of doctors in this country and my friends are getting Amber alerts from their governors and from their local governments asking people who are retired to come back into the medical industry and to work on this coronavirus. We would not have a shortage of doctors if this country invested in its students, if it invested in its young people, if you didn't have to go into six figures of debt to get a medical license. This country doesn't invest in young people, and now we have a shortage of doctors. We need to invest in our students, and that begins with free or affordable education. We see our systems, they're not sustainable. They're not holding us up. They're breaking. There's no reason we should go $60,000 into debt for an education when this crisis shows us the system that we have propped up won't even sustain us long enough to have a job, won't even sustain us enough to take care of our families, won't even sustain us enough to take care of us while we're at home away from school. So this is a perfect time to sit down and rethink what are we living in? What have we accepted? What do we demand of our governments? Not just for college students, but for people of all ages. It goes back to the issues that we're fighting for every single day at the National Children's Campaign. 
the coronavirus has revealed how fragile these systems are and how at risk so many Americans are, and especially how at risk so many young people are. And so I think in addition to checking out our guidelines about how schools can make things better for young people, our listeners should go and make sure that their members of Congress are really prioritizing the young people of this country and making sure that in future stimulus bills, they're prioritizing things that would make young people's lives easier. But then going beyond coronavirus so that this type of situation doesn't happen again, we need to really guarantee things that are human rights as human rights that won't be impacted by a changing economic system. So things like college and education and healthcare and jobs and housing, these things need to be guaranteed through law as universal rights. So if something like this happens again, people will be in a much better situation. Absolutely. This whole pandemic has shown us things that were messed up in our systems way before. And I think that college was already unaffordable. The pandemic didn't make it unaffordable. It just showed that even now, even more families are vulnerable because they have lost their income. We didn't have a real, it seems like, emergency plan in place at a lot of schools, which has been evident. And that's something that I really hope changes. And then even just for our federal government, oftentimes taking care of corporations way before the actual people impacted. And sort of leaving college students out, whether it's leaving them out for voting and disenfranchising them for voting, when we should be encouraging young people. And Joan, I mean, your birthday's coming up, right? You're going to be 18 in a week. You're going to be able to vote soon. And to know that this is something that for folks who are 18, like Elsa, watching friends become disenfranchised because of this pandemic and having no backup in place, having no vote by mail, we really have to fight on the federal level to have vote by mail across the country. California does a great job, I know, of vote by mail. Washington State, too. But there's so many states that don't. And so what we'd love here for all our listeners, if you want to also take action on the things we talked about today, if you want to fight for a national vote by mail bill, if you want to make sure that the next stimulus package introduced into Congress really covers everybody and does not leave college students out, if you want to really help us work on and spread around best practices and really action items of what schools across the country can do to make both their teachers the rest of their faculty and their students more accommodated in this trying times, check our website, nationalchildrenscampaign.org. And we want you to join us in this fight. We want you to help us make these changes and continue to work with us, both youth and adults, to improve this country and to make it a better place for children across the world. So Elsa, I really want to thank you so much for joining us here today. You have been such a strong person through all of this. You have really shown a great example of how to respond to your life changing quickly. So really thank you for joining us. Thank you guys for having me. Really quickly before I jump off, I just want to say like, get angry. This is the time to be angry. Our government right now, mortgage freeze, rent control, rent freeze. This is all stuff we could have. Free tuition loan forgiveness, that's something we can have right now. Having systems in place that protect us, that's something we can have all the time. Having a strong social safety net, that's something we can have all the time. Having protective gear and wear for people that are essential workers, that's something we can have all the time. Having our essential workers paid their worth for what they're doing right now, that's something we can have year round. This crisis is literally exposing the flaws and the systems that we have accepted into our lives 
And instead of sitting home angry, use that anger to propel you to demand more of your government. This government works for us. We don't work for them. Yeah, also, that is a fantastic point. We need our listeners to be just as outraged as we are and in this fight with us. To our listeners, please subscribe. Please be listening in every single week. We're going to be bringing you more ways to get involved and ways to demand, like Elsa said, that our government works for us. Next episode, we're going to be giving you some tips and tricks for how you can manage kids at home in the midst of this crisis. And we're going to give you even more ways to get involved and make sure that our government is serving us, the people, through this crisis and beyond. Thank you so much for joining our Future Now podcast. And in the words of Elsa Mingitsu, demand more. I'm Natalie Mebane. I'm Jonah Gottlieb. Thanks for listening. And we'll see you next time on our Future Now podcast.